we come to the conclusion of a series on the Lord's Prayer this evening, and uh, I want to read not uh, the Lord's Prayer, but maybe part of Revelation 21 that we're maybe not so familiar with. We know the uh, book of Revelation 21 begins with, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and words that are very, very familiar, but as I read these words, and I'll come back to them later on in, uh, in the talk, just listen out for the way in which it speaks of glory and God's glory in particular. So Revelation 21 and reading verses 22 to the end of the chapter. Hear God's word. I did not see a temple in the city. This is the new city, uh, New Jerusalem. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. God, our Father, I pray that you would speak to us out of your word this evening, that you would challenge us, rebuke us, encourage us, teach us whatever we need this evening. I pray that you would give it to us by the power and working of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So hear our prayers and be with us, Lord, as we think together in your name. Amen. So tonight we come to the end of that little series. Uh, uh, One or two of you maybe were surprised that some uh, months ago we did the LICC series on the Lord's Prayer. But I I really felt for a variety of reasons it would be good to come back and Uh, I'm hoping that you'll have found that my treatment of it has been quite different from what we did before in the LICC series. So tonight we come to, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And uh, here's the first thing we want to think of this evening. For yours is the kingdom. And here's a question. Is God's kingdom growing today? There are probably more empty seats here downstairs, never mind upstairs, if we counted them, than there are seats filled. Many of our churches are in rapid decline, and in the West, Christianity is perceived by many not only to be dying out, but the statistics will tell you that in about 30 years' time, it will have died out. And yet, in the continent of Africa, There are 50,000 new Christians being baptized every week. And if my maths is correct, that makes about 2.6 million new Christians in Africa every year. And if I've been here 30 years, which I have, multiply 2.6 by 30, and you get more than the population of the United Kingdom has come to faith in Jesus Christ over the last 30 years in Africa alone, never mind South America, never mind China and parts of Asia and other parts of the world. It seems only in the West is the kingdom of God shrinking or the church 
declining. And I was going to say quite a bit this evening about yours is the kingdom, talking about evangelism and outreach and so forth, but something else came into my mind that took me off in quite a different direction. And it's this, to say yours is the kingdom means it's not mine. This cuts across all my petty little kingdoms. What do I mean by that? All of us, and I think I'm maybe not much different from you, all of us enjoy having power and wielding it. I remember my first taste of power was in Lower Sixth in Sullivan, getting the little silver shield with S-U-S, Sullivan Upper School, as the badge of being a prefect. And in Lower Sixth, I envisaged a reign of terror. I envisaged going into classrooms and into corridors and all sorts of situations. And we were allowed, I don't know about today in Sullivan, but in those days we were allowed to give out lines. So I was looking forward to being the prefect who handed out lines. The first opportunity came within a few days. We were going home on the bus, uh, and there was a little boy from first form who was being very, very rowdy. Can't remember precisely what he was doing. Can't remember his name. But I drew myself to my full authority, brandishing my prefect's badge, and said something along the lines of, Smithers! You will do 20 lines for me tomorrow morning. I want to see. I shall not be rowdy on the bus 20 times. And bless his heart, he did them. Uh, I was more surprised, perhaps, than anybody. The only time in two years I handed out lines, a little bit of par, and it became mine to wield. And I guess there may be many ways in which some of us have par. One of the things I discovered when I was a civil servant working in police headquarters was that one of the secretaries had a filing cabinet in which she kept the biscuits and the coffee and the tea. Uh, And if you wanted to go a couple of minutes early for your tea, you'd find the filing cabinet was locked. Not until half past ten would it be opened. Uh, And sometimes you were just tongue hanging out for a cup of coffee, but she had the power because she had the key and would not open it until half ten sharp. Many of us have power in all kinds of ways, small and sometimes great. But here's the thing. With the power that you and I might have, whose kingdom do I promote? Whose kingdom do you promote? Do I promote my kingdom or God's kingdom? Whose kingdom do we serve? Our petty expressions of power are served by people all over the world all the time. But you see, earlier in the prayer, Jesus says we are to pray, your kingdom come. And I don't think he's repeating himself here at the end of the prayer when he says, pray, yours is the kingdom. I think when he says, pray, yours is the kingdom, he's asking us to acknowledge God's sovereignty over our lives. He's asking us to understand that it's not King Ken that counts or King you that counts, but King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. So let me ask you this evening, are you acting in situations as if you are the special one? Do you think that you have the right to lord it over others? I well remember staying in a home outside Dublin and uh, This was a special assembly that took place down in Dublin, and 
uh, the late Charlie Murray and I went down to stay, and uh, I was uh, uh, billeted at that time. Uh, no, this was a different occasion. I was billeted this time with a man who lived in a house that had a very, very, very long drive. Uh, it was a house that, as you drove up, uh, you found horses in the fields, and you came to this house, and you discovered it had stables. Uh, it, it was grandiose, and it's, you know, uh, maybe six or seven bedrooms, several reception rooms, a really, really palatial house. Uh, and uh, me being me, I said to him, what do you do? He says, I drive a lorry. And we thought, well, driving a lorry in Dublin is a lot more uh, rewarding than driving one up in Belfast. Uh, and all through the stay, he was the most wonderful gentleman uh, and the most incredibly humble Christian that you can meet. Um, months later, I met Trevor Morrow, to whose uh, congregation the man belonged, and I was telling him, I was staying with one of your lorry drivers. He was that, he said. And I mentioned the name, and he said, oh, he says, that man owns the second biggest dairy in Ireland. And I thought, wow, just a man of humility. A man who did not exercise power or lord it over others because of his position or his wealth. And I wonder how often I do or you might do. Do you think that your way of doing things is better or more important than God's way of doing things? Remember what Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples in Mark chapter 9 and verse 35. I've always found these words very challenging. Sitting down. Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and be the servant of all. And then he takes a little child in his arms and he sets a child as an example of what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus, disciple of humility. Uh, but he says, If you want to be first in God's kingdom, you must be last. Yours is the kingdom. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You see, the story of your Christian faith and of mine is not a story about you or me, but it's all about Jesus. And the story of the church must not be about me or you or about Orangefield, but a story of Jesus and his kingdom and how he's working in our midst. Yours is the kingdom. And then Jesus said, pray, yours is the power Commentators will tell you that the power that Jesus is speaking of is the hidden power in the world, the power to rescue people from hell, the power to bring new and everlasting life, and the power to transform lives. I'm quite fascinated by power, actually. Maybe it's because I don't understand it. I love that journey down, uh, as I've said many a time before, uh, uh, from Craig Antlet into uh, the, the Belmont Road. Uh, and you look at the twinkling lights of Belfast, uh, and it, it blows my mind to think of all the homes represented there, all the street lights, and you think of all the devices in people's homes, televisions, radios, microwaves, computers, all sorts of things. The amount of power needed to light up a city the size of Belfast is incredible. And then you multiply that into the enormous cities of the world and the communities of the world. There's a huge amount of power generated in the world. And we can do so much today in science and technology and business and commerce. It's amazing to think the power of human beings to achieve today what was not that many years ago thought of as impossible 
human beings have a lot of power. But here's the thing. I don't have the power to forgive my own sins, never mind yours. I don't even have the power in myself to love the unlovely. I don't have the power to make arthritis go away or to cure my tinnitus. I don't even have the power to make Donald Trump love Muslims or migrants or, for that matter, Alex Salmond and the golfing fraternity of Scotland. But Jesus reminds me in this prayer that we celebrate God as the one who, because he owns the keys of the kingdom, has the power to do whatever he pleases with his will. The scripture says, and we sing sometimes in a song, no, not by might, but by your spirit, O Lord. We cannot change ourselves, other people, or the world, certainly not in important ways as we would like. For yours is the power, Lord. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of outstretched arms saying, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the power, but you do. Yours is the kingdom Yours is the power. And he said, then we are to pray also, yours is the glory. And as I thought about this, I remembered a a rather curious story in the New Testament. Uh, We'll find it in Acts chapter 12 and verses 19 to 24, if we may read it together. It's about the death of Herod. Uh, So let's just uh, follow that as I read it, Acts chapter uh, 12 and uh, verse 19. Then Herod went out from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the day appointed, Herod, wearing his royal robes, all the splendor of royalty, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. What a curious story that in the midst of all the politics and all the power plays and all the, 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 the issues of justice and, and all that's going on in the country, Herod should deliver a speech. And because the people think he's a god, he's not a man, and he doesn't immediately say, you've got it wrong. God is king of kings and lord of lords. He has struck down and dies. I wonder sometimes whether we take God far, far too casually. We are very familiar with what C.S. Lewis says about Aslan. He's not a tame lion, you know. And yet in our very casual society, in our casual 21st century It's very possible that we take God much less seriously than we should. I'm thinking back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 14 and 15. And this is what God said to the people as they were going into the land that God had promised. Uh, He said, do not follow other gods. 
the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. What an incredibly serious word from God that if we go after other gods, for them it was idols of wood and stone that represented deities worshipped by other na- uh, uh, nations. For us, it may be power, it may be uh, money, it may be uh, sex, it may be uh, sport, it may be making an idol of any even good things like family and all the things around us in the world are not necessarily bad in themselves, but when we turn them into an idol have we got this sense that God comes in judgment and justice? And he says, the Lord your God is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. I don't want God's anger to burn against me. And so I kind of love communion. Next Sunday night we'll be taking communion because I I see communion as a kind of spiritual MOT. When you take time to look within and say, is there any sin that's crept into my life? Is there any relationship that isn't right? Is there anything I'm doing that's wrong? Is there anything in my attitudes that I'm thinking that's wrong? I need to put it right before God because His is the glory, His is the honor, and He is the God who is jealous for His name, jealous for His holiness, jealous for His honor. And if He sees in me unrepented sin, then He has every right to be hard in the way He deals with me. The Lord your God is a jealous God. And that theme is picked up in other parts of Scripture. Look at Isaiah 42 and verse 8. And this is the great prophet speaking quite a long time after those words from Deuteronomy. Uh, And God reveals himself through Isaiah. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. We may not like this idea of God as a jealous God, but his jealousy is not like ours when we say so-and-so's green with envy. God's jealousy is desire to protect his holiness. It's a desire to protect his purity and his lordship and his sovereignty. And God has said we should love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. He has said that he alone is to be worshipped and that all the glory is his for eternity. And when we refuse to give God the glory for his grace and his mercy, when we refuse to give God the glory for the many acts of his goodness and power, when we refuse to give God the glory for the good things that happen in our lives and church, we are not giving him his due. We are not giving him his rightful place as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And there's more to this glory that needs to go to God because you and I are inextricably bound up in it. What do I mean by that? I mean that amazingly, we are to share God's glory with him. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says this, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. And you see, one of the great things, going back to the passage we read in Revelation earlier, one of the great things about John's vision of heaven is that here's a place where there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more illness, there'll be no more 
negative things or bad things or wrong things, there will be this wonderful sense of being in the presence of the Lamb, the presence of God Almighty, and that's a great and wonderful thing. But those words of John that we read earlier on in Revelation 21 and verses 22 following, just think through a little bit with me. I don't want to spend time in this, but you know, John says, I didn't see a temple in the city. And he says that the reason why is basically that the glory of God is so enormous, so powerful that the city is filled with the light of God's glory. He is the God of light and the God of glory. And so he says that the Lamb is its lamp, that Jesus is the one who gives light to the to the city. And he says that the nations will walk by the light of this glory, and kings of earth will bring all their treasures and all their splendor and all their glory into it because the glory of the city is greater than all the glory of all the nations added together. And then he says, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life and we will share in his glory. Please forgive me for repeating things. I'm getting old, and as I get older, I do repeat things. But one of the most amazing experiences ever in my life was as a child of about 15 years of age when my father came out of his coma. He'd been in for nine days in the royal. And the doctors apologized and said to us as we went in to visit, they said, he's awake and speaking, but he's hallucinating, and uh, you just need to be aware that, that he's not making sense. Uh, and we went in, we found a man who, having been out for nine days in a coma, was beaming in his face. He was at peace with himself, and he was saying, it's great, he said. I've been to heaven. I've seen the Lamb's book of life. And my name and your names are written in it. And then he said, God told me it wasn't my time. I had to go back. And he lived for another four years. He saw a vision of the Lamb's book of life and the glory of heaven. And for the last four years of his life, he looked forward as his body wasted away. Uh, and when he died, he was six foot one, he weighed seven stone, size 13 shoes. Uh, he weighed seven stone when he died. He was skin and bone, but his glory was God, and he knew he would share that glory with him. So forgive me for repeating that, but it, it just is a constant reminder to me of what God has before us and of the need for us to live and say everything we do and everything we achieve and everything we want has to be given over to him, for his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever and ever what? Amen. Now, once before when I preached, I actually have taken a wee bit of time to look at the word amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. This is only the second time that I have uh, mentioned this word, amen. You know, uh, some years ago, I, I tried to 
encourage members of Orangefield that when somebody was leading in prayer at the end of the prayer, it would be good if we all could say a big hearty amen together and it kind of failed miserably as a lot of things do. But that little word amen is not just a nice little ending, a postscript at the end of a prayer. And what I want to just share in the last couple of moments is, or a couple of minutes is this. What it actually means to say amen in both Hebrew and Greek, it is an expression of affirmation. It's equivalent to us saying to God, so be it, Lord. But it serves three purposes. Number one, it is a statement of faith. Uh, My childhood biblical commentary hero, John Stott, once said, and I quote, faith is not a synonym for credulity or superstition. Faith has a reasonable trust. And you see, our faith is based on God's Word, His authoritative Word. Our faith is based on the reliability of Jesus, who claimed that He would lay down His life and take it up again, and in the resurrection He proved that was uh, the, the truth. Our faith is based on Christ, the power of God for salvation. It is by Him and through Him that we shall enter heaven. So when we say amen, we are saying these things that we have been told by Jesus to pray about are the content of our faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we say amen. This is the content of our faith. And the second thing about that little word amen is that it is a declaration of hope. The Lord's Prayer leaves us looking upwards and forwards. It leaves us praying for the eternal kingdom of Christ our Lord being brought in on earth as it is in heaven. And amen is a commitment to a life and message of hope. And when we pray together in church, when we pray together in small groups, whatever it might be, and others are praying, wouldn't it be wonderful if we encouraged each other by saying a reasonably affirmed, loud amen? as a declaration of the hope that we have in agreement with what others are praying. And it is thirdly, and you may not have thought of this before, it is an expression of love. The amen is like a little signature, a personal signature at the end of a letter saying, I agree with the implication that we're binding ourselves to believing and acting upon all that has been said. It is our love note to God. So be it, Lord. The kingdom is God's, but he has shared it with us. The power is his, but rather than crushing us with it, he has saved us from destruction. The glory is his, but he has given it to us and makes his glory the inheritance of each one of us with heaven as our destination. And in view of all this, in view of the cost of Christ's great love at Calvary, how can our final amen be anything other than the amen of self-giving love in response to God's sacrificial love? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Dave led us very kindly in thinking through the Lord's prayers, part of our prayers of intercession earlier on, but I want us to uh, maybe follow on from that, and I want to finish with saying the Lord's prayer, but I'm going to say it slowly, Uh, and I'm going to 
say it in a way that hopefully will give you a little bit of space and time that if there's any particular part of the Lord's Prayer that God has really spoken to you about in these last weeks, maybe just take that time to bring it to God. And then what I'd love us to do is to uh, say the Lord's Prayer out loud together. Uh, We will have it in the version that we give to our children in salt, uh, and that will go up on screen. And if you want the correct version, you can pray it with your eyes open looking at the screen. If you pray it in a different version, you want to keep your eyes closed, we'll forgive you if you say something slightly different. The content is mostly the same. But just as we conclude this series, let's close our eyes and pray through that Lord's Prayer again. I know we did that a little bit earlier, but let's just take that personal uh, aspect of whether there's something God has spoken to us about that we need to do something about and put into practice in our lives. Let's pray. And I'll just pray a phrase and then leave a moment or two of quiet for you to respond in whatever way you think. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that your disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And we thank you that in this great template for prayer, it really doesn't consist of a large number of words. And yet, there is such depth and meaning and purpose and such richness coming from the words and the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. Lord, help it to be, help us to make it the template for our prayers. And grant that in praying it, we may truly ask that every part of it would come to be, and that as we see you work and as we pray for all these things, that our amen may be not just a a kind of routine ascent at the end of a prayer, but a, a real statement of faith and hope and love. For we ask these things in your name. And as we conclude, as we pray together, If you want to keep your eyes closed and use your own version that that you know maybe from childhood, fine, but the version that I will use is on the screen for us to pray. And I'd love us to pray this out loud together uh, as we uh, finish this part of our service. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the power of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.